0: Thank you so much for taking the time and staying in contact with our missionaries. This morning, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. We're talking about freedom is choice, and you notice in your in your bulletins, you have a kind of a basic outline of some of the things that we're going to be dealing with and talking about, but uh, the issue of choice is, uh, is something that seems to be such a hot button in our society today, and... Uh, with uh, all the different things. Uh, it started years ago with the issue of abortion and now uh, same-sex marriage and uh, gay rights and uh, transgender issues and all the different things that are going on as they relate to choice and how important it is and I want my choice and I want to be able to make my own choices and so on. So I, uh, I thought, you know, for this Sunday what I would like to do is uh, I want to take us back to when choice really became a problem, when it When choice ended up creating a real difficulty and a real issue. And that is in Genesis chapter 3. So the story of the fall of man. So uh, I'm going to read that rather quickly and share that with you. And then uh, I'm going to introduce a a special guest who is no stranger to us, but a special guest this morning. And he and I are going to uh, communicate, dialogue, question and answer uh, through some of the issues that were raised with the fall of Adam and Eve. So, uh, is my other mic working? Testing one. All right, great, thank you. So, if you'll follow along in Genesis chapter 3, let's go through this quickly. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Bad choice number two. Bad choice number one was listening to the serpent, even being in a conversation with it or him or whatever. When she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Bad choice number three. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Another bad choice. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Now, that's a whole different sermon. We're not going to get into that one today. Sorry. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock, all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel to the woman, he said. I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Your pain will, With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil. You will eat of it all the days of your life. I will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field, but the, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, your, for, dust you are, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garb, garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The Lord God said, The man has has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. I'm going to ask Chris uh, Ullman if he would come. Chris uh, currently serves as uh, a uh, librarian, research librarian at uh, the Moody Bible Institute. For years he served here at Christian Life College, uh, teaching in the college. Uh, he and I are very good friends and we kind of collaborated on uh, on this particular topic and wanted to uh, wanted to do kind of a dialogue. Uh, I'm going to, in some, some ways, uh, maybe sort of play a bit of the devil's advocate, asking certain questions that I want him to answer. And uh, he has taught in secular colleges, uh, Harper, uh, DuPage, different places, and uh, has studied this extensively. And, uh, and so uh, I, I want him to, uh, to give you ammunition. I want to arm you with information and truth today that will help you be able to give a reason for the hope that's in you. And we'll give you some some insight and some help as to how to deal with people that are so caught up in this issue of uh, freedom of choice. Uh, It's not freedom of choice, freedom is choice. It's a choice that we make. And uh, if we choose truth, our life can be amazing, maybe difficult, but still amazing. But if we choose not truth, if we choose untruth, we will discover pain and suffering beyond anything we could imagine. And uh, we're talking for eternity. We're not talking for, you know, a couple of days or years or whatever. So uh, I want to welcome Chris to to the table. And uh, I stood up the whole time last night. Well, I ain't doing that again. So... um, I have an opportunity to sit, and so I will take it. But uh, I want us to begin, uh, first of all, with uh, this particular question. Uh, Chris, how can we know that this passage of Scripture is actually the truth and not merely a, another myth and uh, just a, a fairy tale that somebody made up? I mean, we've got talking snakes and all kinds of strange things, and so uh, how can we know this is a true story?
1: First of all, Jesus said it was true. Uh, He refers to the story quite clearly in his teachings. Paul said it was true as well. He refers to Eve being deceived a couple times in his epistles. Um, The Apostle John refers to it as true. He talks about it in Revelation chapter 12, the serpent that deceives. Um, And we we see there that um, by virtue of the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, uh, that serpent is thrown down. Uh, his energy will eventually be dissipated. He cannot outlast the Almighty God. Um, we also know it's, it's true because the, the, uh, the, the prophets affirmed the truth of the law in whole, which includes the narrative, not the myth, but the narrative of Genesis. And so there's good reasons to believe it's true. There's also abundant evidence Uh, from outside of the Bible that the Bible is indeed uh, a a very, very special book. There's incredible manuscript evidence uh, far surpassing that of other works of antiquity. So we don't have any dispute about what the Bible actually says. There's virtually no dispute about that. Scholars recognize we have what was written. How to interpret it becomes one of the issues but that this is correct is not at risk. Archaeology also confirms the Bible. Uh, the things described in the Bible have all been uh, capable of being tracked down by archaeologists, even though many of them sought to disprove the Bible. Uh, there was an archaeologist named Ramsey who went out to try to prove that Luke was full of uh, baloney, and he discovered that everything Luke said was true down to the very details, and he became a believer. He's one of the most outspoken uh, advocates for the, the, uh, the Bible and archaeology. You also have a fulfilled prophecy that is way beyond the possibilities uh, that humans could ever dream up, that all these things could take place as prophesied, especially with regards to the uh, trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. And then finally, there's tremendous um, support from uh, the, the statistics of the impact of the Word of God there's a really great book called The Book That Made Your World. It's by an Indian Christian, Vishal Mangalwadi, and he's talking to the West. He says, this is a book you should be aware of. You don't know how much the Bible has influenced your world. It's, it's an incredible book, but it's just one of those um, studies that shows that the Bible has great reasons to be accepted by all thinking people as the word of God. There's a lot of
0: uh, people today that believe that knowledge or information is power. And uh, I think uh, it's fascinating to me that God would, uh, would warn Adam and Eve against eating from this tree because uh, it, it would give them the knowledge of good and evil. Prior to that, obviously, they lived in, in a perfect realm and all they knew was good. They didn't, they didn't understand the concept of evil. So, uh, Chris, kind of, kind of touch on that a little bit. Uh, the issue, uh, the issue of of the society that we live in, where we believe that if I give a person enough information, if I if I help them have enough knowledge, they will be ultimately become perfected simply by information or knowledge. Is that? Would you do you agree with that or not?
1: Well, I agree that knowledge is power. Um, Francis Bacon said this, and it's definitely a, 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 one, of the, one of the characteristics of this society is that we have really. Uh, advocated people becoming more and more educated. Um, But but educated in what is the question? Now there was a time when the average lifespan of human beings was 900 years. This was before the flood. They had 900 years on average. If you take Enoch, who walked with God and was translated off the earth, you take Enoch out of the mix, they had 900 years for the average person living before the flood. 900 years to learn, to gain information, to use that information, to invent things, to pass it along to your offspring. Can you imagine how much you would know if indeed your great-great-grandfather was still alive right now and could talk to you about what he had learned and pass it on? There's a big problem, though. In Genesis 6, the Bible says that the earth was filled with violence. And every imagination of the thoughts of man's hearts was only evil continually, and it grieved God that He had made man here on earth. Mm -hmm. Information can bring a limited amount of power, but our problem is um, that it alone will not win us salvation, it alone cannot vanquish the terrible power of sin. Uh, we need truth, and we need to recognize that truth is is one of those uh, topics today that has really been being thrown back and forth. Uh, it's being leveraged in a, in a variety of ways. We, we shouldn't really be terribly surprised. For quite some time, we have bought the idea that uh, of the postmodernists that nothing is certain, nobody knows anything for sure, everything ought to be doubted. What's true for you might not be true for me, and we've allowed that sort of message to infiltrate not only our everyday conversations but also our school system and so we shouldn't be surprised that today truth becomes a matter of who has the loudest voice, uh, who has the most to gain and in fact when somebody says something that we think they want us to believe, we're immediately asking what do they have to gain by this? Mm -hmm. And so we recognize truth has been tarnished, the whole concept of truth has become a a very big problem. Frankly, as I look at academics, uh, the real issue in, in today's academics really isn't ethics, it's epistemology. It's determining what is true and being able to settle on the belief that there is truth. But truth comes from the lips of the one who is true and that is God alone. All truth is dependent upon the revelation of God and we wouldn't know anything as we ought to know it, if indeed it wasn't for him wanting to talk about himself. He's a self-disclosing God, and he speaks the truth continually. And if we listen, we'll know the truth. But we don't listen. We allow sin to enter into our lives, and it takes us over. And this is one of the biggest problems of our modern approach to this problem of truth is we, we ignore the fact the Bible says that sin has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They cannot see clearly. Um, we are by nature objects of wrath the Bible says and as a result many of the things that we learn we don't even learn them the way we ought to. But when we become Christians we have the ability to see our minds begin to be transformed. Uh, and it's an amazing thing. And in fact then we discover that Like Paul said, that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. And nobody knows anything as they ought to until they've acknowledged Jesus Christ. I don't care how many letters they have behind their name and how many Nobel Prizes they've gotten. They don't know it like they're supposed to. That kind of knowledge, it puffs up. That kind of wisdom isn't from above. But there is a way that the truth-seeking aspect of being a human being can be sanctified and Christians ought to be leaders in these areas. And by the power of God and his grace, he's going to elevate Christians to that uh, forefront in the last days.
0: Amen. I, uh, I'd like to get to our outline at this time now and spend a little more time there. Um, we uh, define the term choice, well actually Webster does, as the opportunity or power to make a decision. And... Uh, When you choose God, there's a tremendous amount of freedom. Some would say, well, you know, there's all these rules and regulations. Well, not necessarily. Boundaries, I think there's a difference between a boundary and a rule and a regulation. The boundaries are what gives us the opportunity to be free. And God established certain boundaries in the Garden of Eden, and there was a boundary around that tree, and they decided to break through that boundary. And as a result, the consequences were that they moved out of the boundaries of freedom into the, uh, the, the choice or the boundaries of sin and death and, and pain and suffering. Uh, the, the real, there's four things that I really want to touch on and or that I want Chris to help with is number one is the issue of relationship. Now the, the humanist in, in my studies through college myself uh, I discovered that uh, the humanistic mindset, the humanist manifesto uh, states that the, the real driving force behind humanism is that man is the ultimate and so therefore man, to function on this planet, we, we just need to do the most loving thing that we can come up with in any particular situation. Now, that, that could involve telling a lie. Sometimes the most loving thing to do for a person is to lie to them. Don't tell them the truth because they'll get depressed or whatever. Uh, another loving thing may be to steal, to steal something, uh, because there's a need in your life or your family's life, and uh, to take something from someone who has a lot and then give it to your uh, person or people that are in need, that's, that's a loving thing to do, so stealing is, should be fine. Uh, the ultimate example of this obviously is the, the young women across the country for years now that have decided that having a, having a baby is not is not something that I can do I cannot I can't take care of this child so the best thing for me to do is to end the pregnancy and so abortion was legalized and uh, and so uh, and I have been in these discussions with people that have tried to convince me that the most loving thing to do you can that you can do for that child rather than raise it in a in a you know, a a terrible situation, an unloving situation, a suffering situation, is to end that pregnancy, end the life so that that baby doesn't have to suffer uh, here on the earth. Uh, That's an incredible way of thinking. Now, Chris, what do I do with that?
1: We, We have an issue in which we've defined love as that which we individually think is going to be the most beneficial for myself, or for somebody else. And we, we recognize as Christians that the Bible talks about the, the um, basically the, the tainting and the turning and the souring and the decaying of our human hearts because of sin. So that, that makes our hearts an unreliable judge of what is loving. Uh, we, we can be swayed in many different ways. It may be that Adam thought that it was the most loving thing to not leave his wife to be alone in her now fallen state. So that's why he picked up the fruit and ate it also. John Milton certainly thought that in Paradise Lost. But you see, this is, this is an inadequate judge for what love really is. Love is the one who is love. God is love. God defines what love is. And if you think about it, this is a great argument for the Trinity. It must be that God is um, one in essence and three in persons, because it says God is love. And if before he ever created, that was, that was also true that God is love, then that's no big benefit. Everybody loves themselves. If God's only one person as, them, as certain religions teach, Everybody loves themselves. But what we find is actually the case, what the Bible teaches is that Father, Son, Holy Spirit existed forever in the past. And that's where love was first experienced and expressed throughout eternity past. God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit loving one another, laughing together, enjoying one another's presence, entrusting one another, incredible fellowship. It was so good that God decided he wanted to create some beings that could also experience it, Mm -hmm. that we could learn how to freely give love. And before we fell, as a a species, as a race, uh, it was beautiful. But once we fell, it created all kinds of problems, this aspect of love It started to get twisted in the relationship that Eve was going to uh, feel towards her husband. That was part of the the curse, that she's going to feel a tension and a pull. And he's going to feel that tension and pull as well. So we recognize that, that love itself by itself as a human experience is not an adequate barometer or compass for what to do that is right. We must have God as love showing us what's right, and he has done so in the word of God. The things that he doesn't approve of, he doesn't approve of them, not because he wants to withhold from us pleasure and fulfillment, but because they're not good for us. They violate the nature that he has given us. And so we recognize that we should never sever love from truth. It is not a loving thing to violate God's truth because God is love. He's the one who determines how love is to be expressed. And in his word, there are many, many expressions of how to do it. There's also some warnings about not letting love overwhelm your appreciation of truth. In fact, in the last chapter of the Bible, it says that there are going to be some creatures, some people that are not going to be in the city. And, and, and part of the reason why they're not there is because they loved and made a lie. You never can separate love from truth. And in Christ Jesus, grace and truth met and become fulfilled. But Jesus has got to be the center of the way we look at, our, at the command to love.
0: Amen. So the issue of relationship uh, is, key, is a key element in Christianity and uh, in my personal studies at a secular university before I went to seminary, uh, I, I did a lot of religious studies and uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and, and all the major religions of the world and discovered that in all of those, they did not offer a relationship, a personal relationship with the, the deity or the almighty or whatever, whoever the, the uh, top dog, so to speak, uh, was. and. Uh, That difference, I think, showed me that these religions offer really no hope uh, for a future or for even life on on Earth. Uh, And as a result, uh, I think the next issue is this issue of respect. And and I'd like you to maybe define that, Chris, uh, and help us understand how Adam and Eve uh, stopped respecting God and his wishes And actually respected Satan and agreed with him. And that's what cost them. That choice cost them and us so much.
1: We actually have the beginning of false religion, don't we, in Genesis chapter 3. We have somebody telling you, this is how you can get wisdom. This is how you can get fulfillment. This is how you can get pleasure and satisfaction. Do this one thing and you'll get it. Prior to that, they had been experiencing all those things. They knew what they needed to know. They were living the life of paradise. They had everything that Satan promised them already. But they bought a lie. And they decided they could go about trying to get it for themselves. And uh, what's the result? Is estrangement. They became estranged from God. They decided after having eaten the fruit that they better hide They also figured out, we're going to have to cover ourselves. So they made their own clothes. And I would submit, this is the beginning of false religions. It's an attempt through human effort, through human wisdom, to accomplish what only God, in the true way of of believing, can give. So God actually begins to, to reveal the gospel to us, even before we get... The, the curse upon the serpent. Because what he says is he looks at those clothes and he realizes they are not adequate. This is not what humans need to cover themselves. And what did he do? He went out and he killed something and he made clothes out of skin. Now, a death had to take place in order to cover the shamefulness of human beings as a whole sermon into why they realized they were naked and why naked all of a sudden became something that needed to be concealed and it still does. Um, Nevertheless um, there is the beginning of false religion right there. Respect is based on recognizing the truth of who God said we are. We are so precious to him. If one person is in danger. He'll he'll leave 99 by themselves in safety to go and help the one. The basis for human rights is found primarily in the Bible. And religions that don't embrace the truths of the Bible, people who don't embrace the truths of the Bible, they don't have a human rights movement. They don't believe in the value of individuals. It's kind of an incredible thing. Respect comes from recognizing we are who God said we are. We are created in his image. We are created with this ability to um, embrace reason. There are three um, foreign language terms that help me remember. uh, Logos spermaticos. that is the sense of reason this idea of reason, the seed of reason. The seed of reason is something we appeal to in every other, every other person, every other human. We believe that language is going to be capable of giving those people truth. So we live a life that makes it worthwhile for them to listen to the truths we have for them. Secondly is sensus divinitatis. That's a Latin term for the sense of the divine. The book of Romans tells us everybody knows there's a God. He has made it clear. No one has an excuse. It's obvious. Through creation, God has revealed that there is a God in certain aspects of his nature. And the third term is imago Dei, the image of God. No other creation of God, can it be said, is made in his image. And so we are unique creatures in that respect. That's the basis for human value. And so I can respond to any other human being, regardless of uh, any particulars about them, knowing that they are valued exquisitely in the heart and the mind of God, that I must reach out and I must care for them. That's the basis for respect. If we link respect to anything other than that, it becomes something that may come or go. It may switch on or switch off based upon um, their condition, based upon our ability to help. But when we link respect to being created in God's image, that never changes. There is a constant pull on the human heart to respect every other person created in the image of God because that's the way to respect God in in so doing.
0: And, and that really answers the question or the issue of, uh, you know, I need, to, I need to love the sinner but hate the sin, and that makes that possible. When you understand, um, it, we, we tend to judge people based on appearances or activities or actions or whatever, and we don't look beyond and see that, see into their soul, so to speak, that they are the image of God, they have the ability to reason. Again, their truth basis may be different than our truth basis, but again, through language and communication, there are connections that can be made. Uh, Now, moving along here so that uh, we can stay in our time limit, uh, the third thing deals with the issue of resources. So, Adam and Eve went from abundant resources to basically nothing. And uh, uh, we have a lot of talk today about, again, about the issue of resources and, and all the different things that go on in our world. And uh, and I, I liked what Chris shared uh, last night regarding this and the fact that you know there, we do have enough resources to take for the to take care of the world but there's a key element that has to be has to be evident in order for that to happen and that is
1: justice. The resource issue has to do with distribution, not so much with production. Uh, Paul Ehrlich was wrong when he wrote the Population Bomb in 1970. He said we were going to outstrip our ability to to, to provide for human, hum, human race. Um, but where there is an issue is injustice. That is not being justly distributed. That is oftentimes not making it into the hands and into the mouths and the, and the bodies of people who need those resources and are willing to work for it, not be given, but willing to work for it justice is the issue and that goes back to the fall doesn't it we're incapable of making a just distribution system for the the great resources god has provided and so we constantly are struggling against that particular problem i recognize that everybody wants to do what they want to do and in regards to just distribution of resources um it makes sense. Uh, give to those who have the most that they can give back for it. And, and we create sort of a, a system in which it's, it's only will I give to you if indeed there is an ability for me to in a long term benefit from it. Um, that's part of what makes business work. But there's a problem with that and that my benefit is not the end of all things. Um, respecting God is the end of all things and honoring God is the end of all things. So this resource, this limitations that started in the Garden of Eden as part of the curse will continue to uh, be an issue that Christians will have to deal with. We have to deal with it in our own lives. We only have a limited number of minutes and dollars and attention that we can, that we can provide to the things that uh, that beckon to us. And we'll, we'll need to see those limitations place us in a place of need and dependence. And yes, we depend on one another, but we depend on one another in a way that can be uh, a blessing because we, first of all, depend on our God, who He Himself said, I will be your provider. By faith, as we trust God to be our provider, we can enter into these interdependent relationships and they don't end up having to hurt people. What happens a lot in our secular world is we see everything from a win-lose perspective. If I win, someone's got to lose. It's called a zero-sum game. If somebody gains 50, someone's got to lose 50. It all ends up averaging out to zero. But in God, it's possible for everyone to win who obeys God and puts God first and loves people in a way that shows they respect their God. Correct. Love, is, love is a win-win proposition, sure. but it totally goes against the idea of, of li- limited resources. Limited resources make me want to hoard and, and, and hold, and, and, and we recognize that that, that kind of corrupts the person who does it, as well as depriving others who have a legitimate need as well.
0: Amen. The last last thing on the list is uh, the issue of responsibility. We saw that uh, dominion was given to Adam and Eve to uh, become fruitful and multiply and and they were given this tremendous responsibility, uh, actually a privilege, and uh, when they violated that through their choice uh, situation they ended up in a different mode completely and they were cast out of the garden and they entered into what I call survival mode. And we have been living in that survival mode uh, since the fall. Since they walked out of the garden, uh, mankind has functioned in, a, in a, an attempt to survive. And uh, uh, just if you could just touch a little bit on that, on those two issues, because uh, we still, as, as the human race, I believe we still carry that, that, that mandate from God to have dominion over the earth. The problem is is that it deals with this whole issue of relationship, respect, and how we handle resources. And so the responsibility that we carry now as, as human beings or as Christians in particular, uh, what what is our responsibility as a Christian? If we're still here and we're not in heaven yet, we must have a responsibility. Why are we still here?
1: Oh, my. Responsibility is... Well, I guess it's my ability to respond to the needs of others and my ability to constantly be responding to my God. Uh, love is the mandate. Compassion is the way we, ex- we show that love. We, we don't show it in universal approval of all possible choices. Um, we recognize people can make choices that will put themselves in a bondage situation. It's not a good idea for me to show love to that or approval for that. It is a good idea for me to show compassion to those who are in bondage, but it's not a good idea for me to show approval. And I recognize my responsibility never ends to show compassion. So that's that's one of the things I must do. I also have a responsibility, once I have shown that love, to bring the truth to them. It's a truth that sets men free. Jesus said, when you know the truth, it will set you free. And as, right. a, as a convert back in the Jesus people movement, we were all about that. We recognized we wanted freedom, and we, we, we needed freedom, and we were being told in the culture that everything is, can be free. And we discovered, somebody walked up to me on the street and asked me, um, do you know Jesus? And I stood there with my, my girlfriend, who I eventually married, and I, I, I listened, and I said, i uh, I didn't know you could know Jesus. I know about him. I said, come out to the tent revival tonight. And you'll find out. And I heard the gospel for the first time in my life. And I felt like this preacher must have been following me around because he nailed me. And he knew all my secret sins. And I gave my life to Jesus that day. That's the time when freedom began for me. Before that, I wanted full freedom to do whatever I wanted to do, whenever I wanted to do it, Um, with whatever I could find or maybe even with whom you know anybody I could have fun with it was all free but that's a freedom that results in bondage because you know what we cannot be trusted to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it uh, wherever we want to do it it doesn't work that way who ends up having freedom in a situation of total autonomy just the powerful and then everybody else becomes the slaves of that and so The the issue to me is responsibility, is finding what is the form within which I can have optimal freedom as an individual, within which we can have optimal, not maximal, but optimal freedom as a society. And it's the form that God has provided in his word. There is no better approach to life than the Christian viewpoint. It's incredible. We're told that we come from matter and that matter is all there is and in the beginning there was a big bang. There's no basis for meaning if indeed we only are matter. Matter doesn't matter. These elements don't have attributes. Oxygen isn't good, carbon bad, so forth. No, they're just things. It takes being created in the image of God to give meaning. So my responsibility as a believer is to continue to discover meaning and discover meaning in ways that can make a difference in the life that I live, in my relationships, in the way I use my resources. Uh, That's the the key to life. As long as you're doing that, you're really never going to grow totally old. You'll keep on learning. You see, there's this great paradox, Pastor, We get to go and see our bodies gradually, maybe sometimes more quickly than others, go a little bit down, a little bit down, until indeed, as the curse says, we return to dust. But in the Lord, it's the reverse. We go from glory to glory, Glory. ever-increasing glory. It doesn't have to get worse. It can get better and better and better and better and discovering more and more and more of the power of God, the wisdom of God, the love of God, the holiness of God. There is no end in sight. It will continue to get better. And this this is the good side of a very bad section of Scripture in Genesis 3. This is sad. When we read it, tears should come down. It didn't have to be this way. Right. But God has given a better answer, and uh, he's provided that to us in Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. Amen. God bless you, Chris. Thank you. So all stand together, shall we, as we close our time? I want to thank Chris so much for challenging me and offering me this opportunity to share with you today. Something a little bit different, but uh, you're probably going to leave here Kind of like the little boy that was in class, raised his hand, said, teacher, may I be excused? She said, sure, why? My brain is full. Uh, not really. We have a long way to go yet. So, uh, but uh, as we travel this road from glory to glory, I thank you, Chris. That was a great way to end our time together. Uh, it's exciting to know that. The blessing of the Lord is yours today. The Lord now bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Father, we receive that blessing as the anointing from the Lord. We thank you, God, for, again, just challenging our hearts and our minds today, realizing that we have the truth. We have it. We've experienced it. We have that relationship with you. Father, we've come into a place where we respect your authority, and we can trust you, and we can eternally be grateful for that. Father, we have resources at our disposal and God just help us to utilize them and help us God to share. Help us to share those things because in sharing, Father, we discover what love really is and compassion. And Father, we now accept the responsibility to go from this place and show compassion to those that we may not agree with, to understand that they are blind and we can show them the light and the truth. And they can know true freedom. And we thank you, God, that we have, in this place, made the choice to follow Christ. I would pray that everyone here has made that choice. And if not, God, Father, speak to them, encourage them, allow the Holy Spirit to lead them into all truth and to know Christ, whom to know is life eternal. Thank you, God, for this great day. May you be blessed by our lives, by our conversation, by all that we are. In Jesus' name we pray it.